What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, uh, hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Is the two man power trip of wrestling, and you are listening to episode number 253 of the two man power trip of wrestling podcast, a podcast that you can get twice a week by downloading and hitting the subscribe button in any of the places that you get your podcast. 
whether it's iTunes or Google Play or TuneIn Radio or my personal favorite, the Podomatic app. It's the two-man power trip of wrestling that you type in the search box and you'll get us twice a week, every week. And I always love to say you never know who's going to be on the other end of the line when you listen to the two-man power trip of wrestling and with all that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz. And John, oh my gosh, this is going to be such a fun one as we kick off WrestleMania week in style as we head down to Mudlick, Kentucky to be joined by the country boy. And it's a guy you don't go messing with as the one and only Hill Billy Jim joins the program. And this is a guy that when you think about the rock and wrestling era, when you think about the early days of WrestleMania, Hill Billy Jim was thrust right into the middle of that, whether it was breaking onto the scene with Hulk Hogan or teaming up with Uncle Elmer and joining up with the three Hillbillies, Uncle Elmer and also with Cousin Junior. And there's so many great memories of Hillbilly Jim from that era. But let's kind of specifically talk about that WrestleMania era. WrestleMania 1, we've all heard the stories. It was the gamble that Vince McMahon took on WrestleMania 1 that really determined where the WWF was going to go. And obviously, it went from Madison Square Garden to the Pontiac Silverdome through the Atlantic City WrestleManias to the Sky Dome and beyond to where we are today at WrestleMania 33 with those early days of WrestleMania in the Rock and Wrestling Connection. You think about the branding, you think about the wrestling album, you think about the action figures, the trading cards, all the things that they had going on changing the face of the business. And it all started with how big WrestleMania 1 was and how everybody involved with that show became such an absolute household name, and really anybody who was on WWF programming at that point became such a household name. And John, as I welcome you in here, one of the finer things I think we're going to point out about this interview is not just how great of a guy Hillbilly Jim is and how genuine he really is to us and how great he is to talk about not only his book that's coming out, but so many things in his career, but it's his connection to the WrestleManias that really kind of is the uh, the head scratcher because if you remember how big Hillbilly Jim was on WWF TV in that early part of 1985 and you ever wondered why Hillbilly Jim wasn't at WrestleMania 1 well now I think we've got a better idea as to why the Hillbilly was not with the big names as part of WrestleMania 1 but John why don't you talk a little bit about that and tell us a little bit more about what we have to look forward to in this one-of-a-kind interview to kick off WrestleMania week with Hillbilly Jim. Yes, Chad. So much fun to be able to get a talk to WWE legend, a true WWE legend, especially during WrestleMania season. Of course, that is Hillbilly Jim, the country boy. And of course, you know, we get to talk all about his history with WrestleMania. And speaking of WrestleMania, obviously WrestleMania 1, the, you know, the granddaddy of them all, the first WrestleMania, that was the biggie. What happened with WrestleMania 1? We go into why he wasn't a part of WrestleMania 1, the injury that derailed him from appearing on the show at WrestleMania 1. You know, as everyone should know, or maybe they do know, uh, Hillbilly Jim was supposed to be in that super Jimmy Snooker role. And, you know, obviously, Snooker ended up being in that spot in the corner of 
Hogan and Mr. T against Orndorff and Piper. But, you know, obviously Orton was in their corner and Snooker was in their corner, but originally it was supposed to be Hillbilly Jim. Not know if everybody knows that, but you should know that because he is the original Hulk Hogan guy. He was the original buddy of Hulk Hogan. And obviously, you know, being in his corner with him and Mr. T would have fit in perfectly and kind of fit in like a glove. Snooker, not so much. Obviously, it worked well, but it would have fit better if it was Hillbilly Jim, obviously, in his corner. And if you think about talking you know speaking about Hulk Hogan guys and the Hulk Hogan buddy and Hillbilly Jim obviously being that original Hogan buddy think about it through the years you had Mean Gene Jimmy Hart Typhoon Macho Man Brutus Beefcake etc etc but Hillbilly Jim was really that first Hulk Hogan guy and we go into that in depth in the interview and I think that is a lot of fun anytime you get to talk Hulk Hogan the Babe Ruth of professional wrestling on this show it's always fun for us especially when we get to talk about Hogan with a guy who's so close to Hogan in Hillbilly Jim you know and, and of course we're going through his whole history and his you know the entire run of him in the WWF but his entire history in the wrestling business in general but when you specifically talk about WWF and Hillbilly Jim in the WWF that was the golden era the big era the big boom in professional wrestling that was really the golden era of the WWF think about those awesome LJN figures think about you know the promotion and how you know rock and wrestling and how these guys really really became stars upon themselves but not just stars mega mega superstars and that was the really the era that launched it and obviously hogan played a huge role in that but anytime you're tied to hogan like hillbilly jim was he also played a huge role in that as well and chad i love when you get into it about how you know hillbilly jim and hogan that two pack of ljns that was really your first wrestling figures that you ever owned so i just think that's a little cool little tidbit you get to throw in there and that's very very cool we also talk about it to hillbilly jim you know his opinion on why that era was so beloved and you think about that golden era but what does he have to say what does he think about it why are those guys so remembered when so many errors are forgotten and so many wrestlers are forgotten those guys always draw well you know at autograph signings they always hit home runs when they're doing personal appearances and we kind of delve into that why you know what is what is it about those guys and you really kind of sit there and think about it these guys were larger than life hillbilly jim larger than life so it's truly awesome to be able to get him for the amount of time that we got him and we had a great conversation with him off air as well which was a lot of fun so sit back relax enjoy this one and of course pick up that hillbilly jim book hillbilly jim the incredible story of a wrestling superstar by gary west so really you, you will really enjoy that and i really really think you are going to enjoy this interview with none other than the country boy himself hill billy jim sometimes when we do these interviews you never know what you're going to expect on the other side of the phone whether a guy's quote working you or whether or not you know you're just going to go through the motions with somebody and you're going to be very formulaic well you know what when it came to hillbilly jim everything that i ever expected in dealing with hillbilly jim was completely and 100 percent what we got what a genuinely nice man and the time we spent talking to him was so much fun and like you mentioned that's that time we spent off air was almost as worth it as the interview itself and he is completely adamant about coming back and doing a Q&A with the uh, the listeners and really a no holds barred Q&A whatever you guys want to ask Hillbilly Jim is 
on board, and he said he'll come back in a few months, and we'll get that all set up because that is uh, that is a guy who was there for everything. So he's going to have a lot to say, and he's a guy who has no BS, no filter. He's not going to beat around the bush. He's going to tell you like it is, and that's the reason why everybody likes Hillbilly Jim, and that's the reason why Hillbilly Jim is one of the only wrestlers that you never hear anything ever said badly or said in a derogatory way about because he's just such a good guy. And we thank Hillbilly Jim so much for coming on with us and all the best with the book. And please go out of your way to read it. It is an awesome read. And Hillbilly Jim is really just a testament to the wrestling business and those legends that we have left out there. Hillbilly Jim is at the top of the list of the guys that I suggest you go out of your way to meet, go out of your way to read his book and get to know everything about the country boy Hillbilly Jim. Now, John, a lot of big stuff coming up. This is WrestleMania week. We got a nice episode on Friday, which is a follow up to a prior episode, and that'll have a lot of WrestleMania tie ins to it. But we're also a couple weeks away from our big appearance in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, as part of the Icons of Wrestling convention at the ECW Arena, now the 2300 Arena, with Eric Bischoff, who we heard from a few weeks back, and Sean Waltman. And it is going to be an amazing day where the NWO is going to reunite. And if you want to learn more about that, please head over to our Facebook page and check out all the information about that day that is going to live in infamy as quite possibly uh, one of the best days I know, John, of both you and myself as a two-man power trip, but also as fans to be around the NWO is going to be just too sweet. So as the music starts to creep in, hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to Hillbilly Jim. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please visit our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. Subscribe to us on YouTube. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, check out the feed for some legendary episodes featuring the living legend himself, Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Ray Mysterio Jr., Jerry McDivitt, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, Mr. Wonderful Paul Ondorf, AJ Styles, and so many others. Also, while you're surfing the web, check out WrestlingInc.com. Yes, that is WrestlingInc.com. They are the number one wrestling news source out there, so please check them out. Also, while on the internet, go to ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, ProWrestlingTees.com is your superstore. If you are a super fan, and you can please check out our page while you're there, you can check out Tito Santana, Paul Orndorff, Coco Beware, Magnum TA, Buff Bagwell, and so, so many others. Follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 as we hit the road and we come to a town near you. April 22nd, we hit Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at the Icons Collectors Fest. Then, May 19th and May 20th, we hit the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling Expo in Richmond, Virginia. Then, follow us to New Jersey as we hit Legends of the Ring in Monroe. So please follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017, because you never know where we may land. Now, without any further ado, a WWE legend, 
a true wrestling icon, a future WWE Hall of Famer. He is a country boy. He is Hill Billy Jim. Please enjoy. I've never heard anybody in a wrestling interview 
really, you know, there's never been anything bad out there about Hillbilly Jim. So when I think of Hillbilly Jim writing a book, I know that there's not going to be a lot of trashing. There's not going to be a lot of negativity. But I'm sure that, you know, when we look back at that time, that 1980s era, and when you really hit the superstardom, there's so many great stories that you can finally put pen to paper and get out there to all the fans. Well, you know, thank you so much for saying that. I I have had a uh, quite a run doing this book, and it did open up a a lot of uh, uh, areas that I hadn't uh, hadn't brought up, and I'd kind of compartmentalized and put away for a lot of years. But yeah, there's so many stories that I just forget about, and I don't really. I, I'm not really one of those kind of guys that lives in the past. I, I live in the now, and I, I I'm glad I had a good past, and it's, it's very good to have a had a good life that I can remember back on. But basically, unless somebody brings it up to me, fellas. I don't talk too much about the past. I enjoy doing it, but when Gary West approached me about this book, the whole thing is about you got to tell things, and it opened up all sorts of things in my mind that I had put away, and uh, I thought of some things, guys, that honestly I hadn't even talked about in years and years. That's uh, Now, that's great. That's what's awesome now about even writing a book or even going to do some research in 2017 is that there's so much stuff that's out there. And today's fan, you know, we, uh, we like to consider ourselves historians, but so many people now that I'm sure you probably wouldn't even imagine could tell you things from your career that either A, didn't happen in their lifetime, or B, you know, they saw once and went back and, uh, and tried to relive it. And I was telling John when we were uh, getting everything all set for today, you know, I go right back to uh, my first ever action figure of professional wrestling was Hillbilly Jim, you know, in the mid-80s, and obviously those, uh, those iconic wrestling dolls which uh, have really gone on to become something that's built uh, the wrestling figure collector up very well you know we think of that era in such a positive light and i'm sure with other books that have been written you know there's things that have been touched on but what's been something that somebody brought up to you and it kind of triggered you know a great memory that you're able to now put into the book well, there's been so many things. I mean, it's just been an amazing array of things that have came up to me. The main thing I told Gary West, I said, Gary, I don't want you to put anything in here that's not absolutely true. And I don't want anything in here that's all foo-fooed up that people can look up on, on Google about me. Because, you know, people, guys, think they know you, but really they don't know the real you. And I want this book to be about me and my life. And it's a whole, it's a whole journey when you open up your life to folks and you want to bring things up to them. I wanted to make sure that everything I told in here came from me, and including the pictures. By the way, there's a couple hundred pictures in this book, and every one of those pictures, for the most part, were my own pictures, personal pictures, because I did something that none of the other wrestling guys I ever were around ever did. I always carried a camera with me. Always did, and I always get pictures of me and the guys at different places at times. And the guys in the wrestling business are kind of like house cats. It's kind of like trying to herd a bunch of house cats. You can't get these guys to do anything much, and most of them, well, they don't care about stuff like that at all or whatever. But I, being a guy, I just want to take pictures. So I submitted about 700 Yes, that's right, wow. 700 pictures or so pictures to Gary West and I when we were doing this Hillbilly Jim book. And we sat down and meticulously went through all these, these some of, they're all, me and them are all from my collection that no one has ever seen, with me and a lot of different people and places and things, and a lot of the people you can put a face with a, with a story in the book. And I, I gave those to him. Of course, you can't put that many pictures in there, but we chose about 200-some. And i got to tell you, even 
after having that many in there, there was a few in there that I okayed that we're going to get another dig get in there and kind of hurt my feelings. But I got to tell you guys, when you do the book, the book is done. Nobody knows it but me. But it's been an amazing story. These pictures have brought back a lot of memories to me. Uh, and, and, and some of the guys, some of the places and things. And listen, we haven't got enough time here in this day for me to go in and tell you all these stories. There's so many things. What you guys need to do is pick out one thing in particular. Just anything in your head that you want to talk about or anything you're curious about, and see if I can't give you something right here and right now that can pertain and answer your question. Try me now, see what you got. Yeah, I don't know. I would love to hear about the forwards, you know, with Hulk Hogan and Jimmy Hart, and obviously your association to Hulk. I'll tell you exactly how that came about. As we were doing, getting ready to do this show, I mean, this, uh, to do this, this story, Gary was talking to me. He said, Jim, it'd be great if we get Hulk Hogan to do a forward. I said, you know, I've never asked Terry to do anything like that. I don't know, you know, whatever. I said, you're trying to get these guys as hard. Well, so it was. We were at the WrestleMania a few years ago that was in that was in San Jose, and I saw Terry there. We were back in one of the green rooms. Me and me and him and Jimmy Hart, a bunch of us hanging out. And I got Terry. I said, Terry, come in the bathroom. I want to talk to you. So I took him in the men's room. I said, brother, I got to say, I want to ask you if you'll do something. If you don't want to do it, I would totally understand. And I don't. I've never asked you for anything. I don't want imposition. I said, I got a guy in Bowling Green, Kentucky. A real nice writer is going to do a book on me. He says, great, Billy. That's wonderful, man. You deserve it. I said, look, man, I said, I don't know. I said, it's kind of too heavy for me. I, don't want, I can't think of somebody want to do a book on me. I said, but he asked me, Terry, if you would do the forward. I said, if you don't want to do it, brother. He said, oh, no, no, no. He said, I insist on doing it. So he told me right there he insisted on doing it. I said, well, fantastic. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, I said, I'll get in touch with you. I said, can I get in touch with you through Jimmy? So we began that in that bathroom in San Jose, California, at the arena, and I talked to him about that. He he okayed it, and then I talked to Jimmy Hart about it, and so then I at some time put Gary West in uh, in touch with Jimmy Hart, and then this was the time that Hogan was going through that lawsuit with that uh, with that company that he was just trying to sue over that tape that he did, the one that Gawker or whatever it was. Right. Yeah. Remember? That was okay. Well, here's well, here's the deal. Gary West had already gone through the book, blah, 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 and we'd already got everything, and he was waiting on the forward from Hogan. And finally, he talked to Jimmy Hart, and he said, why don't I just get one from Jimmy and him? Because it was getting hard to find Hogan. Hogan was doing, at the time, he was doing the, um, he was doing the hearings in court, right? So he told Jimmy Hart, he said, you tell Gary West that I'm going to be in court these days, but tell him to call at a certain time and keep calling because whenever i get a break i'll do this so my man gary west told me he says i called hogan for hogan and i tried two three times on the third time i let it ring he answered he was on break from that very hearing and he said he he talked to me and he said jim he was 100 percent gracious he was wonderful to me he didn't make me feel like he was in a rush he said here's my home number he said if you need to call me as a cell number too he said you call me on this and he said, if you think of something else that we left out, and he said, he gave me the most wonderful thing. And he said, Jim, he wrote, told me some wonderful things about you. And I told him, I said, Gary West, don't tell me. I said, well, I want to wait till I see the book and I read it. So that's exactly what happened with the, with the Jimmy Hart did his, Hogan did his first. And the first time that I knew what they said about me was when I opened it up. And, and all, all I have read in that book so far, guys, is just the two forwards. I haven't even read my own book yet. I'm waiting for hopefully this year, a snow in day, <laughs> when I can sit down and go through this whole thing myself. I haven't even read my own book. 
That's unbelievable. What a story, man. Hulk in the fight for his life, and he yeah. still has time to help you out. That's so awesome. That's and obviously, how about that? Yeah, yeah, your association with Hulk, I mean, that's how we got introduced to you up in the, uh, you know, the Northeast, the WWF. But talk about just being linked to him at that point in your career, obviously being strapped to the Rocket because he was uh, obviously the biggest wrestling superstar on the planet in 1984. That's very well put, strapped to the rocket. That's exactly what it was. There was nobody ever in the history of this business, and I don't believe there's ever been nobody since then, or there probably will be, that was more over uh, in America than Hulk Hogan. I mean, the WWF at that time was the vehicle, but Hulk Hogan was driving it, brother. And when they brushed me up against him, as we called it, that gave me a seal of approval that that, that has lasted with me through today. And, I mean, you got to realize, guys, the business was on fire at that time. I mean, that's at the advent of the first WrestleManias. It's at the advent of the of the first merchandising things. You're talking about the action figures and the cartoon shows and the record deals and the rock and wrestling collection. All that stuff was happening right then, and I was lucky enough to be born in the right decade and be in the right place. And Jimmy Hart has said this better than anybody. I'll have to take a quote from Jimmy Hart. I can't take this. Jimmy said this, and I've used this quote, guys. The guys that were there in those 80s like that, somehow or another, we got woven into the fabric of America. And you know what, brother? It still remains the same, guys. I'll tell you why. Yours truly, Hillbilly Jim, I don't get paid for what I do. I get paid for what I did. I don't have my Sirius XM radio show because I'm Jim Morris. I didn't get put into the, the Wrestling Hall of Fame down in, uh, down in Texas because I'm Jim Morris. I mean, I don't get the keys to the city and places giving me wonderful interviews like this and me getting honorary college degrees because I'm Jim Morris. I got it because I was Hillbilly Jim. And fellas, don't think that I 100,000% grateful. I feel lucky and honored to have been a part of it. And that's why you never hear me saying anything disparaging about wrestlers or the wrestling business. Uh, because, you know what, I had a wonderful run, and I, had, I know the president says he's going to make America great again. Listen, for him, Billy Jim, America ain't ever stopped being great. Hmm. You were an absolute pop culture icon, and so were yeah, you know many of the guys from the 80s. I still feel like, you know, you correct me if I'm wrong, but the most remembered era and those guys kind of have the most longevity as far as people really remembering them, like you said, almost woven into the fabric of America. Well, there's been legions of guys that have came after us, guys that were good workers, great workers, not so good workers, characters, gimmicks, heels, baby faces, and everything, but all of them have pretty much been forgotten except that core of guys that I was lucky enough to be in there with, your Andre the Giant, your King Kong Bunnies, your Big John Studs, your Junkyard Dogs, Randy Macho Man Savages, Hulk Hogan, uh, you know, your Hillbilly Jims, your Iron Sheiks, your Nikolai Volkov, so forth and so on. At Jimmy, Mouth of South, Jimmy Hart, all those things, we were, I mean, listen, you'd like to say it's all about you, but I don't. And listen, I was lucky. I was born in the right decade. Of course, I was ready when I got my opportunity and then the door was open. I put my foot in there, and I'm happy I did that. Uh, it's, been, it's just been wonders for me. I mean, I'm telling you guys, I still do things as much as I want to off of the Hillbilly Jim character, and I would never, ever, 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 Turn my back on being. More, more people know me as hillbillies they know a Jim, you know, my regular day. And I, you know what? And I love that, and I appreciate that. And I, here's what I got to do: as long as I can stay healthy, and still look kind of like I did before, and feel good and get out, I can go on and ride this thing probably until hillbilly Jim leaves this planet. 
And you know what? What an honor that is to have done something and got caught up in something that everybody remembers. Because you know those guys that you, all of you, you guys talk, especially in the East Coast, there around New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, all up and down the east, Eastern Seaboard, uh, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, the most rabid, wonderful fans ever. And I still go over and do lots of appearances, uh, meet and greets, and different things. Of course, we got WrestleMania coming up in a few months down in Orlando. I'll be down there for that. It's just been wonderful for me, and uh, if I if I hadn't had the, all these guys, Jimmy Hart's and your Hulk Hogan's, and and by the way, I want to say this to the fans out there too. I appreciate you guys, and I and I and I love talking to you, and I hope that anyone ever comes up to me, I realizes I spend time with people and I talk to them because I got a feeling. I feel like wherever I'm at, like even tonight talking with you guys, is where I'm supposed to be. I don't try to rush it. I don't try to look past it. I live in the moment, brothers, and that's what I want to do. And I think my life is better and more richer for uh, for doing that because I've able been able to uh, have my cake and kind of eat it too. Hmm. And that's awesome of you to say that. And us being you know those East Coast fans, we you know we even appreciate that more. But with Hulkamania and thinking about you, you were really really big part of Hulkamania. You were kind of like his first quote unquote buddy. You know, he would yep. have Savage after that and be big, but you were like his first real friend, a real buddy, and real you know, on-screen presence, and you know, you're, you're Hillbilly Jim, you're wearing the bib overall. Is that, you know, something that you just look back on, and you're like, you know, obviously it was a crazy time in wrestling, but it was just, like you said, right time, right opportunity, or did you feel like, you know, you were the right guy to play that role? Well, it's twofold, and that's a very good question. I, I, I do think I was, uh, listen, I, I, I've often said this to people, I'd rather be lucky than good. Now, you know, you could go out and work real hard and make a million dollars, or you could bum around and hide in the building and find a suitcase with a million dollars. It'd be easier if you found a million dollars. But my deal was I was ready when the opportunity uh, struck, and I was able to carry the load when they, put the, when they put the reins on me and saddled me up. I was able to pull the load because there's been a lot of guys that come along after us and they don't, they don't, they, for some reason or another, they don't really get woven into people's mind. People don't accept them. So I was one of the guys, and it was a twofold thing because I'd always been in sports and exercising and working out and stuff, and I still do all my life. And I was kind of ready, guys, when I got, the, uh, when I got the, the chance and the opportunity, and I realized it was a tremendous opportunity. And I realized early on that sometimes the windows of opportunity don't open for you very many times in your life. So I wanted to capitalize on it because I knew the business was going to be a fast business. It was going to be a quick business, but it wasn't going to be a real long one. And I wanted to make sure that I did as as much as I could and be there. And uh, to be a part of that whole thing, I mean, we did some really – uh, as you as you've talked about earlier, some revolutionary stuff and some stuff that really is uh, sets the benchmarks. I mean, we were the first ones doing pay per views, and listen, I remember the first WrestleManias. I would have been in that first WrestleMania had I not got my knee tore up in, in, in February the twenty fifth, nineteen eighty five, out in San Diego, California, because Hulk and I were in a match with Brutus the Barber Beefcake and Johnny Valley, and I sustained a real bad knee injury. Or I would have been on that very first card, that first WrestleMania. This happened uh, just like a month or two before. I couldn't do it, but I've been on many since then, and I've seen the evolution of this business and the fans and everything. And uh, listen, I got to say this too: coming from Kentucky, you know, I'm from from a little town down here in Kentucky. You know, you always hear a lot about the big city, especially New York. But I have to tell you this: when I first came to New York and the New Jersey area as the hillbilly Jim character around Kentucky, I never had more people being nice to me in my life ever 
than the New Yorkers. Even the folks down in Manhattan, the people down in the city were wonderful to me. Everybody said, oh, New York is a fast place. Well, you know, I'm kind of a fast-talking kind of guy anyway, and I kind of like that kind of place. But I found everybody totally wonderful to me. I didn't meet, listen, I got to say this, I've met more jerks in my own state than I ever met in New York. Hmm. And that's well, true. And, and that's because of the Hillbilly Jim thing. I mean, they were so nice to me, and the fans were so wonderful, and they still are. Like I say, I go do the autograph shows all the time, and, and they come up to me and tell me great stories, and they bring pictures that I took with them many years ago, and we go down memory lane, and, and they couldn't be any more kind to me. And, uh, you know, that's a good thing, because that really, if you think about it, guys, that's what this pro wrestling business is, should be all about. If you're nine or if you're 96, there should be somebody or somebody's on that card when you go to see the shows or watch them on TV that you really like. It should be an entertaining thing for you, and it lets you kind of uh, be a little vocal if you want to be, lets you cheer if you want to, lets you boo if you want to, but it should be, bottom line, a great time for the wrestling fans. And I think that if you forget that, you leave out the most important part. Because, listen, Without any fans, there is no sports. I don't care if it's baseball, basketball, football, pro wrestling. The fans are the lifeblood. And so often you see and you think that a lot of times the fans kind of get left in the dust. But I think that the wrestling fans have a more open communication with the wrestlers. We're more approachable. We make ourselves more approachable. And I think that's something that endears a lot of fans to pro wrestling. That's uh, definitely true, and it's funny you said that uh, New Yorkers were friendlier than, mm-hmm. you know, uh, people in Kentucky. It's possibly the first time that's been said. Usually, you know, it's it's the other way around, but it's the wrestling fans. They really appreciate it. They respect the That's life. my experience. That's, hey, listen, that's my experience. They have been more – listen, listen, how bad is it anywhere you go in the United States of America, mostly in North America, but just take this. If Hillbilly Jim at that time, I I felt like wherever I was at, I was at home because everybody was so good to me. People offered, hey, man, can I buy you lunch? Can I get you this? Can I get you a drink? Can I take it? If you needed a ride or if something happened, God forbid, and you didn't have a place to stay, there's people that would take you to their house and let you sleep at their house and take you to the airport or give you a ride. I felt like the whole world was like because they were so into the WWF product at that time because it was so hot. And they treated us so good. I mean, every time we roll in town, they treated us just uh, first class, and everybody was always there. And it, they don't—they don't listen. They don't come to see you because they don't like you. Even if you're a heel or a, or a bad guy, they still come to see you because they want to watch you. And but but they don't come to your matches because they don't like you. They liked us. And you know what? In my case, heck, guys, they showed it to me. They were so nice to me. I—I I, I mean, I'll never forget that. I never will. You know, just thinking about your career, you know, you, like you in the WWF, you quote unquote came in as a fan, but mm-hmm. that first interaction you had with Rowdy Piper, and he's another guy, another all-time legend, one of those guys that cannot be forgotten. Yeah. You know, you're on you're on Piper's head. What is your you know your thoughts, kind of dealing with a guy with the gift of gab like Rowdy Piper? First of all, uh, one of the greatest uh, one of the greatest speakers that there ever was ever with a microphone. The guy we call it on the stick was RP. Roddy was as good. I remember all those times they used to they used to show him early early on before he even came to the WWF. Uh, he was he was down in Georgia Championship Wrestling. You'd see him on that Superstation out of Atlanta, and he when you gave him that microphone, man, it was sizzling. He could 
just absolutely kill you with his promos and his mind and all those little weird think eccentric things he would do. Uh, he was the best. So when I had that Piper's pit there, you know, I said, look, I'm going to have to go out there. I'm going to still be to do the hillbilly gym thing and uh, do all the stuff I got to do because, you know, I wanted to kind of – if you think about it, back in those days, all the guys stayed pretty much in their character, which a problem with today is a little bit of this. When the bell rings, they all look the same. They all start doing the same moves. <laughs> they all start taking bumps and flying around and doing all kinds of stuff to where it looks – Gray. It blends to, even if they come to the ring with some elaborate entrance. But see, in my day, I'm Hillbilly Jim. What's a Hillbilly? A Hillbilly is a good old boy. That's a nice old guy, but he ain't supposed to ever be real sharp in the ring. He ain't supposed to ever figure it out and be a scientific wrestler like Bret Hart or Bob Backlund or one of those guys. He's supposed to be a good old boy. And if you get him riled up, he'll come into fighting. And then he wants to wrestle, he said, he gets mad. And so that's kind of the way I did it. I tried to keep myself where I never got real sharp in the ring. And it wouldn't matter to the fans even if I, if I won or if I lost. They were still with me. See, and that's that's the dividing line because you think about it back in those days. You had your Rowdy Roddy Pipers, you you know who's gone now, and you had Jimmy Snooker who's gone now. You had a lot of those guys, and they all had their characters, and they all did their thing. It was Hulk Hogan's thing to hook up in the ring, in the middle of the ring, and you bow up, and he dropped the leg on the guys. You know that was his thing. The Iron Sheik at that time, he'd do the camel clutch. You know, we'd all have our special little things we do. And I think people liked it better like then. In, 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 in our day, I know you guys did, and they showed us because it didn't matter if we were in the Garden or if we were in the Spectrum, if we was out in Nassau, if we were in the Meadowlands. It didn't matter where we were. It would always be a sellout. And the people would always show up, and we would always do our thing. So those are the things. that I think about Roddy, who, who became a real good friend of mine. As you know, a few several years back we all did that Legends House, and now that's that's really precious to me because I got to spend a, about a month with Roddy every day. And, of course, Tony Adams was in there and Jimmy Hart and Howard Finkel and Pat Patterson and Gene Okerlund. And, uh, and we had uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And we had just a wonderful time in there. And now that Roddy's gone, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's painful to think about that. And uh, of all the guys at that house, I might digress a little bit. I, I wouldn't have thought that Roddy would have been the first to go out of a group of us because – you know, he looked great, and uh, it was just a treasure to be around those guys. And, you know, let me say something that the listeners might not know. You know, we all know each other in the wrestling business, but we don't really, most of us, spend a lot of quality time with each other. Aside from the shows that we do, the pay-per-views, or you might see the guy on the road if you're wrestling. But I actually got to spend about a month every day with these guys. And I'm going to tell you something. When you're around people for a month, you really get to know them. And I got to see all these guys in ways that I never knew them before. And it was uh, it was a tough thing being doing that reality shoot. And it was kind of hard. And it was a lot of stress at first with the guys. But you know me, I just, I just said, I'm going to sink back and I'm going to enjoy every doggone minute of this because I know I'll never get to do it again. And you know what? As this turned out, we were the only ones that ever did a Legends House. And it don't look like they're going to do any more. And even if they do more, we were the first group. So there you go such a great show and obviously us being fans of that era probably you know probably more than any of the era it's just one of those things that's like uh, it's really cool seeing these guys like that and looking at it it's like 
you realize like these guys are all larger than life. I know it's like reality TV, but still, I mean, Piper and you and, and Atlas and all these guys, like you guys are larger than life. Is that what's missing in in today's wrestling? I mean, cause it, you don't get that quite feel anymore that, that you no, know you these don't. guys are bigger than anything. Now, now, and listen, and, and listen, y'all know me. I tell you like it is. I'm not going to color code anything or tell anything, but I don't really have any beasts with anybody because, you know, like you said earlier at the beginning of the show, and I appreciate what you said when you brought me on, I never really got too much heat with anybody because I'm not that kind of guy, you know. I'm not one of those guys that really, uh, you know, uh, does things to guys. I never undermined anybody. I never did anything really, you know, deceptive, behind-the-scenes stuff. But the business has changed a lot, and, and I'm not going to sit here today with you guys on your show and put down anything, I'll just say this. It was as good as it ever was in my day. It's just different now. Now, every generation builds off of the next one behind them. And the guys that we uh, had in our day, the young boys now, when we go around with the younger guys, they treat us like kings. Now, I remember this. I will say this. When I came up in the business, the guys that were behind us, most of the boys did not like them because the guys that came up behind us didn't really treat the young boys that were breaking in like Hogan and uh, and, uh, and and Beefcake and uh, guys like they didn't treat them very well. So consequently, our guys that I was around, they had a lot of heat with these guys. They didn't like the old-timers because the old-timers tried to take advantage of them. Guys now today, they look up at us and revere us. It's, very, it's almost touching, guys, the way these guys are so kind when they come around us and treat us so good. And it's the way it ought to be. Because it's the way you should show respect for people. But us guys in the eighty, we never really treated anybody bad, and uh, they looked upon us like it was a big deal. And I think we did something that started the whole thing that came to where it is now. Now it just changes all the time. You know, it might not be for me now. You might not know who's who on there, but I tell you, every generation has its uh, different way of doing things. I think the wrestling business, guys, is just a reflection of our society. Uh, in, in, a, in a synopsis, I think it's just a big part of what's going on in our society. You know, our society is a quicker society now. Everything is digital. Everything is high tech, and and a lot of people are losing some of the real meaning of things, in my opinion. But you know, people. And here's another thing I say: people don't find out till they find out. You know. Yeah, that's uh, that's so true. And all the things that you said there, it's definitely reflective of, you know, look, any era that somebody's a fan of, whether it's baseball or wrestling, the era that you grow up watching is going to be the best to you. And obviously we're, we're going to exactly. preach on about the 80s and the early 90s like, uh, like nobody's right. business. But, you know, we talk about larger-than-life characters. We talk about guys that literally came from every part of the world, you know, whether it was down in Florida or down out of Kentucky. But let's talk about a guy who came over from France, He's the boss, Andre the Giant. When we get into that book, what can we find out about your time being around the boss, Andre the Giant? A lot of things about me and Andre were amazing. There was, there was, there was two ways it went with Andre. He either liked you or he didn't like you. He didn't suffer, guys, very, 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 very long. If he didn't like you, he wouldn't have the time of day for you. And it wasn't good if he didn't like you because he had a lot of power in that business. He had a lot of power in that company, WWF, at that time. And uh, luckily, I'm a guy, thank God, that he liked me, and we had a lot of fun laughs together, and uh, we, and we did a lot of good, funny things uh, uh, together, and he treated me good because I've wrestled with him as his tag team partner, and I've wrestled against him, and believe me, guys, I'd much rather wrestle with him, because I'm going to tell you, I don't know if any of you guys, and I know all you guys have been around animals and farm animals, but if you wrestle that guy, when you would 
like to grab his body was like grabbing a horse or a cow on the farm. He was just, it was like he was so much bigger and thicker than a real human. It was like, oh, this is going to be awful. I, you know, what am I going to do with this guy? So, I mean, he was, he was unbelievable. And literally in his prime, if he didn't want nobody to, nobody could do nothing to him. He was so big and just naturally uh, a large, strong human. He was, it was a whole different thing with him. Uh, I, I think about him a lot. I had a lot of fun with him. He treated me real good. We had a, we had a, we had a lot of wonderful experiences. And my memories of him is I wish he'd had a little bit better life because in in, in a lot of in a lot of respects, guys, to me, kind of had a sad kind of life because listen, that guy couldn't hide nowhere. He didn't matter where he went. Everybody went to him, and 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 he he could never not be Andre the Giant. Everybody, and so he picked his he picked his close personal friends uh, really carefully, and 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 like I say, he didn't open up to a lot of people, and uh, and he was truly larger than life, and and he was just a for a guy from Kentucky to come up to the big leagues and and to be wrestling with like you know Andre the Giant and. Uh, Big John Studd and King Kong Bunny and seeing Dusty Rhodes and, and being around the magnificent Morocco and Rowdy Roddy Piper, to see Harley Race, all these guys that I really just admired. You know, see see Jack Briscoe for some Dory Funk, Terry Funk, all the, the real legends and to be able to get you know, to be able to, to to wrestle with them and know them and hang out with them was just kinda like uh it was better than a dream come true for me and uh and 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 to be liked by most of those guys and get along with them pretty well was pretty good but andre was special and uh, i took a bunch of special trips with him to uh, uh to france one time and we we used to do uh, some of the best funds i had i'll just lay this on this might just be in the book a little bit uh some of the most fun i had we had special tag team matches it was myself the boss andre the giant and captain lou albano now check this out we would wrestle Big John Studd, King Kong Bundy, and their manager, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Oh, my gosh. It was the most fun you ever seen in your life. We took that thing everywhere, and the people would go crazy. And I and it was wonderful to be in that with those guys. I said, man, what a what a crew to be along with. I mean, you know, you just mentioned some of the greatest hands in the, in the entire business. And for me, old Hillbilly Jim to be in there, man, it was tall cotton for me. But uh, I miss Andre today. But I think a lot about him, and uh, and uh, I had a lot of fun things. And there are some stories in there that I think it's, uh, that you'll like, uh, relating to some of our matches and some things like that. And uh, thank you for remembering him. I'm glad you. I think Andre needs to be talked about more. You know. Uh, absolutely unforgettable. And as the uh, the late great Gorilla Monsoon would say, I'm sure there was a lot of reinforcing of the ring that had to go on anytime you, King Kong Bundy, Big John Studd, and Andre gotten uh, anywhere near a ring. I'm sure the ring needed to be reinforced, as uh, as the great Gorilla Monsoon would say. That was another one of my best buddies. Uh, Gorilla was, uh, Gino was unbelievable. Lord Alfred Hayes was a good buddy of mine. I mean, all these guys were just some of the most amazing. The Bruno, to be able to hang out with Bruno San Martino. Sometimes we go on the road, I'll even let Bruno room with me because I just love to hear him talk. He talked like the Godfather when he talked. You know, Bruno, you know, Jim, the business has changed. I'm like, I love him. I mean, what a guy, you know? So, I mean, really, to tell you the truth, I mean, I ain't got no complaints. And, and, and I got to say this, too. You know, I had difficulties with things, and sometimes there were problems you'd have to work out and things going on. But, you know, I think about that company at that time. I think about the WWF. I mean, uh, they gave me a good shot, man. I mean, I know you hear all kinds of things about uh, Vince McMahon and Linda and all that stuff, but 
listen, that family was always really good to me, and uh, and they they took an old boy from down here in Kentucky that didn't really have a whole lot of anything. They gave him a whole lot of everything, and I I, I and my family will always be grateful for that. And uh, you know, but but I had I had more I had a lot more good times than I had bad times. Of course, I had a few injuries that put me on the shelf and things like that. But you know, that's just par for the course. And when Gary West came to me, he approached me about writing this book. I thought he was kind of kidding because, you know, as a child or a young guy growing up, when I read a book about somebody, guys, it was like a president. It was like a famous general. It was somebody famous in history or was a famous athlete. I would have never dreamed that he would have wanted to done a book on me. And he had to impress it upon me because it was almost embarrassing because, like I say to begin the book, I was honored and embarrassed when he asked me about doing this book. But Gary West had a great vision, and, and he pulled it out there, and he's a he's a masterful book writer. I, I'm really honored that he's he's done me so well. And uh, I think it's a good, honest story, and, and, it, and it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a – it goes into my life in a lot of ways that nobody didn't know, and that's exactly like I talked about at the beginning of the program. I didn't want it to be stuff that people could just Google on me because i got to be honest with you guys. Half of that stuff on there is not correct. They get it wrong. And I'm not a big tech guy, I'm not a computer guy, so I don't wait in on any of these sites to do any of this stuff. But to be able to have a book on you is quite an honor. And uh, uh, listen, it couldn't have happened if it weren't for this business. I wouldn't be talking to you brothers tonight if it weren't for this business. And, you know, my life has been good. What, I mean, what am I going to complain about? Like I say, America has always been good to me. And I always say this, look, man, I ain't here for a long time. I'm here for a good time. And, hell, I've had a great time. You know. And you say you're not on the cusp of technology, but being a part of Sirius Satellite Radio for as long as you have been, that's pretty much on the cusp because you were really one of the first personalities and real like names to join the platform before all the big contracts and before all the big names started uh, jumping on board. But I guess you know when it comes to uh, a show you'd have on Satellite Radio, the music tie-in, and I got to ask this before we start getting towards the. Uh, the end of our time here, i got to ask about the theme music, the Don't Go Mess With The Country Boy. Obviously, right. Vince and the relationship with Cyndi Lauper and the music in 1985. You know, you mentioned Bruno and all those legendary guys. When you start cutting the track, Don't Go Mess With The Country Boy, did you think that that would be linked to you for as long as it has been? Let me tell you two stories. I'm going to answer you, both of these statements. You First, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to answer that last, and I'm going to say my SiriusXM radio thing got like this. Steve Popovich Sr. was a big guy at Polygram Records, and he's one of the guys that was initially in the record business that discovered uh, Bob Skaggs and Meatloaf, and he had a company called Cleveland International Records. He's been a friend of mine for many years because I, I go down to Nashville when he was down there. He got me on that famous country show on TV called Hee Haw one time. I did some episodes of that many years ago, and, and I got oh, me wow. a... a I got me an agent out of Nashville named Buddy Lee, who used to be. This I'm got to come back and tell these stories. There's so many you got to know. But Buddy Lee was his real name was Buddy Leone, and he was from Boston. And he was a he was he was a big time booking agent in Nashville. He was married at one time. Check this out to Moolah, the fabulous Moolah. So and that's my connection with with Steve wow. Popovich Jr. And when when Sirius Radio started up, there used to be one called XM Radio too. Remember? There was XM radio, oh, yeah. then there was... Okay, well, now it's Sirius XM because Sirius bought them out. Here's the deal. Steve Popovich, God bless him, he's not alive no more, but his son does my show, Steve Popovich Jr. He's my producer. Well, let me tell you, Steve had the vision for me to come on board 
and be a part of this Sirius XM Outlaw Country channel that was headed up by little Stephen Van Zandt. So little Stephen, that's in Bruce's band, and the guy that was uh, playing Silvio on The Sopranos is my boss, <laughs> right? So I get to, I, and he says, they court me for about a year, a year and a half on this. And I'm thinking, well, is this going to happen? And finally, here's the honest truth, guys. I said, you know, I need to do this show for one year just to be worth my aggravation of them telling me, we're going to do it, we're not going to do it, we're not going to do it. So, you know, I go and I meet little Steven. He's great. He's great. We have fun. I meet all the guys in the series, whatever. So we do the thing in Nashville. Finally, I begin my show. Now, listen to this. I want to do it for one year. If I make it to this July, my birthday is on July 5. That's the first week of July. It'll be 12 years I've been doing this. I've had Hillbilly Jim's Moonshine Matinee on Sirius Outlaw Channel 60 for 12 years. I would have never dreamed it. Never dreamed it. Now, the theme song for my show is Don't Go Messing With the Country Boy. That's the one that I did in all the rings. All the rings and I'll tell you how that came about. That came about when they knew they was going to have a Hillbilly on, that, on, the, on, on their roster. They needed some ring music. They call over to they call over to over to uh, over to New York to to a famous songwriter named Doc Pomus. Look him up. He's one of the most famous songwriters in the history of songwriting around the Brill Building and all that stuff. He says, "I've got just the girl to write this." He didn't know who he had, and this lady named Marshall Chapman just walked in who wrote songs. He says, "I've got the perfect one," because Marshall told me the story. He didn't want to lose. The chance on doing the song for the then WWF. So he said, yeah, I've got somebody right here. And he, she said, what are you talking about? He said, they've got this wrestler. You need to write a song for it. So Doc Palmas and Marshall Chapman wrote this song, Don't Go Mess It With a Country Boy. <laughs> All right. I go to New York City, and I go down to the Hit Factory, and I've got this great producer named Joel Dorn, who's passed on now. He does this for me. They have the people that do my music is the band Eric Weisburn and Deliverance. They're the ones that do that did that movie called Deliverance. You know that one with the, with the dueling banjos that Burt Reynolds and John Voight was in? They're the band. They are the band that played this song for me. And I go play, don't go messing with a country boy. I did that song. So that song. So when it was time for me to do my show, of course we had to use the Hillbilly Jim opening theme. I've had Marshall Chapman come in on my show and tell the story, how she wrote the song, and it's just been the most wonderful thing. So that's where that song comes from, and that's my connection with Sirius XM's Outlaw Country and Hillbilly Jim's Moonshine Matinee. That is awesome. And as we start to wind it down a bit here, got to ask you, you've been, you know, obviously in the WWF for quite a period of time. You wrestled all the greats, you're part of my favorite Survivor Series team of all time in 1988, along with, obviously, Mega Powers, Hercules, Coco. But what is your favorite match of all time, or maybe a couple favorite matches that you had of all time? Well, here's the deal. There's several things. Everybody talks about the one that more people talk about than any, which, by the way, is not my favorite match, but it became one of my uh, more talked about matches was just that little thing that King Kong Bundy and I did with the Midgets at WrestleMania three oh, at the yeah. Pontiac Silverdome. There's more people talk about that than ever, and it was kind of a crazy. It wasn't really that good a match. It was just what it was. It was the fact that it was at an enormous crowd, and at the time, it was a world record crowd. It was phenomenal to be in that crowd and do that was good. But I got to tell you the truth, my the, the the match that meant the most to me, if I really think about it, 
was not that match, even though I loved it, but it was the first time that I got to work a match in Madison Square Garden. Now, listen, coming from down here in Kentucky, the Garden was it. Man, growing up, that's all you heard about, the famous matches they had there, not only wrestling, but boxing matches. The famous things that happened in the Garden, the concerts, all the other events that were held at the Garden was just absolutely as high up on the hog as you could get, so to speak. And when yours truly got to go in that ring that night, and the first guy I ever wrestled there was a guy that I loved a whole lot. He was uh, uh, Rene Sergeant Rene Goulet. Hmm. You know, he was a great, it was just a gimmick kind of match, but I got to, it was the fact that I'm in the garden. You know, he put that glove on kind of like Michael Jackson and tried that thing, and I I caught him off the ropes and did a body slam, a body hug, uh, uh, I guess it's a bear hug with him. And it was what was so funny in the match that, that very day was Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito, and check this out, Andy Warhol. Joe Piscopo was there. And, as, as, as back in the dressing rooms, here comes here comes Andy Warhol. He there couldn't have been anybody that looked more out of place than Andy Warhol. He was like a duck in a lion's den. I mean, he was in the dressing room with all of us, and he was looking around, and he was painfully pale. You know what he looked like. I mean, Andy Warhol, and I'm thinking, and little Danny DeVito was back there, and so was Arnold and Joe Piscopo, and that was my first match that I did in the Garden. So that was one that really it was a high spot. Now, there's been a lot of high spots, Russell guys, to wrestle with Andre the Giant, and Russell is his partner. That was as high as you get. To wrestle with the great Harley Race, who was one of the best technicians in the world. To wrestle uh, Don Morocco, who was one of the best. And probably one of the easiest guys in the world to wrestle. And one of the best technicians was Randy Macho Man Savage. There was nobody any lighter and better than him. And Cowboy Bob Orton was an absolute expert. It just it just goes on as far as high spots. It'd be so very hard. To tell you and your listeners, there was just one thing. I, I, I do remember the first time in the Garden, and I do remember uh, that, that WrestleMania three, which was turned out to be a big deal. And obviously, the the lore and the you know the history of WrestleMania is crazy. Can you believe that? Obviously, you know we mentioned before you were injured during WrestleMania one, but can you believe WrestleMania has become what it has become in this gigantic, you know, huge, huge mega Super Bowl, if you will, that it's become. Well, we never dreamed that. We were talking about this new thing. The first thing we we're going to do is this thing called WrestleMania. Because I used to hang out with Barry Windham and Mike Rotundo a lot. We'd ride a lot together on the roads because we'd do a lot of car riding in the places we'd go to between the shows. And I'd always hang out with Barry and Mike, dear buddies of mine. And uh, and they were talking about this new WrestleMania thing. Then I got hurt out there in San Diego, and I was put on the shelf. Well, as it turned out, you know, I got I made the next WrestleMania, which was the one in Chicago. That was the WrestleMania where we the WWF versus the NFL. Remember that battle royal? We did that, and then and then this the third one, which was the big one. And I never will forget what an enormous thing that was because they were shooting for the world record crowd, right? So we had to get in that arena. We had to get there about. Uh, two and a half hours before anybody got there because it's way out there in Pontiac in the middle of nowhere and there was a limited amount of roads. So we got there. And then when this world record crowd got there, I remember Vince and all of us standing back there in the tunnel just looking at Vince says, guys, y'all just check this out. He said, you might not ever see this again. This is something here that you're going to remember all your life. And we did. And then after that, it took us three and one half hours 
before we could leave that arena. It was so many people leaving out of Pontiac. And then to think, as this thing has gone through all sorts of changes, and what is this WrestleMania? This is 30 what? What is this one coming up? 33. 33, and I've been on 20-some of them in some capacity or another, either managing somebody or being them, and I've been at probably uh, more than that, you know, in the scenes doing fan access and all that stuff. But just to think about that, how long it's became wrestling Super Bowl. It really has. And listen, i got to give that vision to Vince McMahon and the people at the WWF and WWE. And, uh, those are the guys that put that together. And it's became, uh, it really has. And listen, who am I talking about? The fans. The fans have made it. You, the fans, have made it the brand that it is. The guys come and go, but the brand remains. Just the name WrestleMania is a guaranteed sellout wherever it goes now. I mean, that's that's beyond phenomenal. It really is. Definitely. And I was just curious because, I mean, obviously Mania is huge, but going back to Legends House for a second, I was just curious, do you have like a favorite part of that show? It seems like you were having a lot of fun. You were laughing a lot. You were having a great time, especially with Jimmy Hart. Do you have a favorite moment from that show? Listen, that listen i got to tell you, brother, it don't seem like I was having a good time. I was having a good time, but I'm going to tell you, uh, this is a lot about me. I think you guys pretty much know anyway, but when I knew we were going to do that, and we go, I knew it was going to be quite a commitment because I've never done, you know, I heard a lot it was going to be, but let me tell you what I did. This is the mindset I went in there with. I said, you know what? I'm going to enjoy every damn minute of this. I'm going to lighten up. I'm just going to enjoy everything. And the first, honest to God, the first week or so, these guys, some of these guys were so uptight. I mean, for real, Duggan and, uh, and, and Atlas were going at each other because there's always been some heat between them too. I don't know why. And they were going at it, and it was so much tension. Because let me tell you what most of the fans don't know. In that reality show, they had us mic'd and wired all of our waking hours. And let me tell you what, they had cameras around us all the time. And here's the deal. You couldn't have a telephone. You couldn't look at a newspaper, nor a magazine, nor a TV, nor listen to a radio. And you couldn't look at a computer. It was, And, and some of these guys... They were already hooked up on all that stuff, and it was freaking them out. Because they're used to having their computers and stuff in their, in their head. But to me, I don't care. I was breathing in the moment, enjoying every bit of it. I had a lot of fun things. But what I told these guys, I said, look, we got to stop all this bitching and moaning, guys. Because if you guys get into a fight in here, Duggan and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and Tony, you're probably going to kill the whole thing. They might just pull the whole plug on this whole thing and kill it. And, and, and I said, what we need to do, that's when I started talking to these guys. I said, here's what we can do. I'm from a country in the South. I know. Let's just start getting around like guys every night and having us a good meal. That's why I get in there and cook. I showed you, and we start eating, eating meals with each other every night. And you know what? When you sit down and have food and break bread with each other, you ain't going to be mad at each other. You kind of get over it. I even taped a Hillbilly Jim Moonshine Matinee Series XM radio show there. While we were there at a table, and and they filmed that one time. I don't think they ever put it at the. They ever put it on the on. The, they didn't put it on the show, but we did it. It was on Sirius XM Radio. And listen, I enjoyed the moment, but that was probably the, the most fun for me. Was probably as far as the things we did. I really enjoyed it when we went over to Las Vegas and danced with the Chippendales. And Duggan, I think Duggan, Duggan was trying to defect. He wanted to become a Chippendale. I don't think he could quite pull off the Chippendale look, but you couldn't tell him. Hey, he had the hair for it. I'll just say that. But, 
But and me and Jimmy Hart were just kind of rolling with the flow, and I enjoyed doing that. All those skits and things they had us do, and then, and those things uh, they were a lot of fun, and uh, and the trips and things they they made us take. But I think the best thing was just the camaraderie with the guys hanging out and cooking the meals and talking and telling the stories. And half of them would be getting drunk every night. Me, I was just having a big time. They had a good gym there. Listen, we were in a wonderful house. The house that we were in was on the National Historic Registry of Homes. It was a home that was owned by the late Harpo Marx of the Marx Brothers, who at one time was married to one of Frank Sinatra's wives before Frank married her. And we were in Rancho Mirage, California, which is right there in Palm Springs. And uh, they had refurbished the house just for us to do this. And uh, that's where we were living in. It was like being in paradise. I mean, you could look out the window and go in the backyard, and you could see the mountains with the snow on it. And you could look over to the left, you could see desert. It was like, man, where am I at? And so I, for one, just soaked it all up and enjoyed it. And then at the end, when they asked us if we'd come back to do it again, most all of us except Gene Oakland said we'd do it again. Now, if you'd have said it two weeks into it, Pat Patterson would not have done it. He wanted to leave immediately. He He just couldn't take it. But finally, we hung it out, and uh, listen, that was something that had never been done before. And as I told you earlier, if they ever do it again, we'll still be the first ones that did it. Of course, we can never get that group of guys back again because Roddy's not here. But you know, that's uh, you know, that's I, it was a lot of fun for me, I'm, and I'm honored that they chose me to be on that house. And yeah, if it looked like I was having fun, guys, I was. <laughs> you know. Absolutely timeless and hillbilly as we wrap it up here and we get the final pitch for the book. I got to just throw this Jim Duggan joke out there. He might have wanted to join the Chippendales because of his hair, but he also had the wood because he has the two by four. So there you go. But hillbilly, oh, we usually end it with the legacy. <laughs> <laughs> Very well put. Listen, guys, thank you. It's an honor. I hope people like Hillbilly Jim's book. If you want to find it, you can just go to acclaimpress.com. And they'll lead you to the hillbilly thing. And uh, I'm going to leave you with my saying. I ain't here for a long time. I'm here for a good time. Thank you. It's been an honor. And promise me something, guys. You'll have me back again. Oh, my God. And a heartbeat. We have you back as as soon as you want to come back. And best of luck well, with the I'll book. Well, i tell you what. We'll, listen, I'm going to leave it to you guys' discretion. And listen, to all your listeners out there, thank you so much. I appreciate you all. I hope to see you down the road. Take care of yourselves. And let's get ready for a little WrestleMania. And here, the Jim might have to drop in every once in a while just to give you a little update on what's happening on behind the scenes in the WWE. All right. Well, thank you so much, Hillbilly, and so much luck with the book, and we will speak to you soon. All right. Best to you all. Bye. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.